This episode of the MedTalk podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation Expo, the UK and Ireland's leading event for medical device manufacturing. Save the date for MedTech Innovation Expo 2024, taking place on the 5th and 6th of June at the NEC in Birmingham. For more information, please visit www.medtechexpo.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MedTalk podcast, where we discuss the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Ian Bolland, Group Content Manager of Rapid MedTech, and on this episode I'm joined by Simon Lord, who's the head of the Alzheimer's Society, and George McGuinness, Health Aging Challenge Director at Innovate UK, where we discuss the Longitude Prize for Dementia. The Longitude Prize is awarded to the creator of a breakthrough technology that learns from a person living with dementia adapting and compensating for their condition as it progresses, and enabling them to continue living independently for longer. The winning solution will be a digital device or service designed for use by people living with dementia as the primary users. So I discussed with George and Simon some research findings suggesting that two-thirds of GPs want to prescribe technology for dementia patients to help them remain independent and live longer. And in the same research, 87% of GPs believe their patients with early-stage dementia would benefit from technology designed for their condition. These and other topics, including challenging the stereotype of patients being tech-averse, are discussed on this episode. So, George, Simon, thank you very much for joining me on the MedSol podcast. Um, I always start a podcast with a little bit of an introduction about yourself. So I'll start with you, George. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll, uh, we'll come on to Simon. So, hi, yes, so, so I'm responsible for healthy aging at Innovate UK. Um, I've had a long background in sort of aging related innovation um, and joined um, Innovate UK to lead something called the Healthy Aging Challenge, uh, part of which involves what we would have called living well with cognitive impairment, but will uh, for the podcast is essentially the same as, as living well with dementia. Thank you, George. Simon. Hi, um, thanks for having us. Uh, I'm Simon Lord. I'm the Head of Innovation at Alzheimer's Society. Uh, and our team aims to develop and accelerate new solutions to market. So we do that by co-creating products directly with people living with dementia through our accelerator program, which is now in its fourth year, and in the role that we play supporting the Longitude Prize on dementia. Um, and my role on the Longitude Prize is as part of the prize delivery team. So I coordinate Alzheimer's Society's support of the prize, which is effectively working very closely with uh, ChallengeWorks, who are delivering on our behalf, and Innovate UK colleagues on everything from communications through to different aspects of the non-financial support being provided to innovators, and in particular, in involving people living with dementia, which Alzheimer's Society is leading on. Okay, well, thanks for your introduction, uh, gents. Um, so I'm going to uh, start with a recent survey that came out, which uh, indicated that more than two-thirds of GPs in the UK would like to be able to prescribe 
assisted prescribed sorry assisted assisted technologies to their patients when they are diagnosed with dementia. Um, so let's begin with the difference between prescribed and assisted technologies to what the everyday person who hasn't got dementia will get prescribed from the doctor. Is there a massive difference or is it literally just a case of here's a setting that you need to go and use, here's a piece of software and you can go away with it? Maybe I'll lead off on that. So it, it is in some ways very different um, to what doctors are, are used to doing. Uh, although there is now a movement called social prescribing where doctors are able to uh, look at a range of alternatives to medication and recommend that people, for instance, join join a gym, um, join a walking club or, or, or something like that. This would be a further extension. There's much more cost um, potentially involved in, the, in this sort of thing. Um, but I think it's also a recognition by the doctors and it's you know, a staggeringly high proportion of doctors have, who've, who've said they want to be able to do this a recognition that they have very little in their armory that can do anything for people living with dementia. Yeah, I mean, I think I would would echo what George has said. Um, We're in a very exciting place at the moment uh, in terms of treatments for dementia. We finally have um, some, you know, treatments that have been developed, not yet approved here, but have been developed and um, some approval in the US that can slow down Alzheimer's disease, the largest single cause of dementia um but to george's point at the moment doctors don't have that in their arsenal uh we need as many different solutions for people to live uh, independently and continue to do meaningful activities as, as possible you've mentioned the treatments aspect there sam but i'll come on to that in a bit because i just want to pick up on something that george mentioned and it's likely to be a hot topic whenever you discuss the, these kinds of things and that's the cost involvement that is attached to trying to get to try to get more assisted technologies out there and for them to be prescribed. Is there a particular figure that um, that people are looking at to think what that can fulfil the GP's desires to, to get more assisted technology into the community? At this stage, no. But, but the figures that I would be looking at is what is the cost of caring for someone um, with dementia? And, and those costs... If, if you actually enter um, uh, the sort of dementia-capable sort of care home environments, um, are up sort of in the sort of towards a thousand pounds a week sort of range. So it it doesn't take much to actually have a good business case if you can support people to remain independent, uh, and and I think that's where we see a great hope for assistive technologies that actually it allows people to cope in a way that both they and the people who care for them um, are, are confident that actually they can live a fulfilling life um, in, in their own home or as close to their own home as, as possible. Uh, and, I, and I think we, we do need to bear in mind that very often dementia um, sort of results in, in uh, admission to care home, not necessarily because of the innate needs of the person suffering cognitive impairment, but because carer stress has got to a point where they're no longer able to cope. And I think that's where assistive technologies could really make a big difference. When you say assistive technologies there, George, if you don't mind me just picking you up on that, what kind of technologies are we talking about? Are there the everyday technologies that like you and I would probably encounter just repurposed for 
for people with dementia, or is there a little more nuance to that? There's a lot of nuance. I think it was about 10 years ago that the dementia charities came out and, and supported tagging people um, who, who have dementia as an alternative to locking them away and, and not allowing them to get, um, get out and about. And the current technologies are very much that sort of thing, surveillance technologies um, that, that may or may not sort of work particularly well. Where, where we're really sort of keen is, is with the advent of um, machine learning and artificial intelligence, um, the sort of services that you can design can become so much smarter and it's a little bit of everything. And that's actually what's so nice about this competition. We have 24 entrants. They're not all doing the same thing. They're doing huge variety of things from um, helping people to navigate um, through the um, through their local sort of community, learning where they go, learning where they shouldn't go, uh, and delivering sort of automated reminders, things around lighting in the home, helping people sort of stay with a a proper circadian rhythm, uh, which is one of the things that Simon will will understand this better than than I will to to that. Um, So so, so we're seeing a whole host of different sorts of innovations, uh, and we're hoping that these are going to be really breakthrough um, innovations that that give people a step change improvement in how they're able to live at home. Simon, anything to add there? Yeah, no, I mean, I uh, agree with George. It's, um, I think the thing with the Longitude Prize on dementia in particular is we know that the number of people living with dementia is rapidly growing, something like 50 million at the moment worldwide. We're looking at that tripling by 2050. Uh, that results in obviously kind of huge emotional strain on people living with dementia, people supporting them, as well as kind of extraordinary costs to health and social care systems. The real focus of the prize is it's kind of twofold. One is on the types of technologies that allow people to do things that are important to them rather than where most uh, current products exist, which is in the monitoring space. Um, and there's no doubt that they're incredibly valuable. Uh, George mentioned um GPS solutions. Um, I don't think we would uh, call it tagging, but they can be very helpful for people to have an additional level of assurance around uh, a loved one who has dementia, um, especially kind of earlier stage dementia. Uh, That's where the kind of current technology is focused on. It's in that surveillance space. Um, Really important for care reassurance, but not necessarily very empowering for people living with dementia. So I think the the focus of the Longitude Prize on Dementia is really to develop more solutions in that space to catalyze innovation around dementia generally, because we know that there are a lot of a lot of kind of big technological breakthroughs. Very few of them come to dementia very quickly. Um, so this is a kind of like, let's get ahead of this. Uh, AI is having a real moment at the moment. Um, we know kind of how powerful machine learning can be. How can we get those uh, kind of cutting edge technologies that are beginning to be mature into the dementia space? as quickly as possible and benefit from the one thing that I think they can bring that doesn't exist and would be incredibly important to solutions uh, for people in with dementia, which is uh, adaptability as someone's condition progresses. So solutions that can 
learn uh, people's routines, what's important to them, um, maybe at a relatively early stage of living with dementia and effectively work as a kind of expanding cognitive prosthetic that fills in gaps as people's conditions progress. So yeah, so that, that's why we're excited about it. You may or may not have already answered this point when because you mentioned the long and prize there. If we were to elaborate on exactly the types of entrance you get, you've mentioned that monitoring is a big part of it, you know, GPS and the like, but what other particular exciting nuggets do you get that, that are coming through that, that you think, well, this really could transform dementia care? And what other things, when you said there's been a big breakthrough in technology that's slow to come through to dementia, what kind of things in particular you're thinking of? Is it just AI or are there other aspects as well? Um, I think from... Uh... If, if you're happy with me to go first, George. Um, I think from my end, there are a lot of really kind of exciting potential solutions coming through in the 24 semi-finalists that are, that are currently on the Longitude Prize. Um, from, uh, from the Dorothy app that George mentioned, which effectively lets people independently navigate through uh, their lived environments and through their communities to uh, a company that... Uh, called Amicus Speech Solutions, uh, sorry, Amicus Brain Innovations. I'm kind of giving away what their thing is. Um, they uh, have started to develop a system that can help people with uh, what they're calling broken speech um, and online communication. So helping people effectively fill in the missing gaps in a kind of predictive text fashion, um, but for their speech and for their online communication, which I think is incredibly important because we know that in particular speech uh, aphasia can be uh, early and really tricky to deal with symptom of things like frontotemporal dementia. Um, So that could pretty fundamentally transform how people live with FTD. Um, Aside from that, I mean, there's a, a group uh, called Animorph, who are operating out of the UK, and they're developing something called CrossSense, which is, uh, and this comes onto your question around, uh, is it just, is it just AI? Um, they're developing a wearable augmented reality cognitive aid, which is a mouthful, um, but it combines sensory inputs, uh, so like sight and sound and things, um, and tags them against various memories, basically from the insight that synesthesia can be incredibly useful and important to people that are you know memory champions um so taking that kind of really strange jumping off point um, and building solutions based on what we understand from uh, from things like synesthesia so yeah there's a, a real mix of things on there george mentioned some of the circadian um lighting uh products. We've got Eargym, who were one of our accelerator partners at Alzheimer's Society, who have gone on to uh, a place on the Longitude Prize, and they effectively developed an incredibly quick um, and effective hearing test that anyone can take and a series of activities that can help retain some of the active concentration needed to hear well and to socially engage with people. And we know that hearing loss is one of the 12 modifiable risk factors for dementia. So that's a potentially really interesting thing to both keep people who have early stage dementia engaged in their social spaces, um, but also potentially in time to, to move into the prevention space. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really wide range of things on the prize. Uh, so I'd, I'd add to that. I mean, there's a couple of interesting ones, which are sort of in the entertainment space. 
So helping people to um, live much more fulfilling lives while they're um, coping with dementia. So Lucid, um, a Canadian company, have got a, a really interesting um, solution around um, music and music preferences. So not just playing you know, sort of, um, 50s rock and roll to people who, who were born in the sort of 30s and 40s, but actually using computer vision to learn what people like, when they like it, etc., and, and progress. And um, memory lane games, again, sort of um, bringing in some, some uh, gaming, if you like, to um, helping improve um, memory and cognition. So, so a whole host of things. The, uh, the memory and gamification aspect seems really, really interesting, actually. And just going back onto a point Simon made before about dementia probably being a little later down the line, I've seen gamification, for example, when it comes to rehabilitation, for example, when you're trying to get the, the muscle, you know, certain muscle groupings to work again. So it's really, really interesting that they can also benefit dement- those with dementia as well. And I think that speaks to what Simon was saying earlier. So we, we're moving from you know, services that support safety and security to actually things that really focus on improving the quality of life uh, that, that people living with dementia um, are, are able to achieve. And so, so yeah, um, seeing gamification come in is, is one way of actually helping to um, improve um whatever you want to call it, adherence to, to, to therapy, but, but um, make it something that's desirable for the individual. Yeah, I think that also potentially kind of speaks to the, the stereotype that people uh, who are kind of more at risk of dementia, older people are less likely to engage with technology. I think from our end, it's very important to remind people that dementia is not uh, it's neither a kind of a prerequisite of getting old. It is a condition that needs fighting. That's what Alzheimer's Society is here to do, um, but also not something that only affects older people. And then when it comes to the stereotype around older people and technology, um, I think, you know, it should be fairly clear that that is increasingly untrue anyway. A lot of the people uh, involved in the prize, from people on our lived experience advisory panel through to uh, groups that are helping test different uh, parts of different prototypes that are currently being built um, are living with dementia, been living with dementia for a, a number of years, um, are completely able, willing, excited to engage with new technological solutions. Um, and we have to bear in mind that dementia isn't going anywhere. Uh, in 10 years' time, there'll be a whole new cohort of people living with dementia. We hope fewer and fewer with disease-modifying treatments. We hope that technology will continue to you know, provide solutions for them, um, but that this that will be a generation of people that have spent most of their working careers, you know, using laptops, you know, developing apps, let alone using apps. These are going to be people that are very, very ready for technology to fix the different challenges that come with living with a dementia diagnosis. I do want to come onto the treatments bit at some stage, but I want to just keep a little bit of focus on the assistive technology elements and how it can help. GPs, because I'm, go- I'm going through the uh, the survey findings that I've got in front of me now, saying that 88% of GPs believe that people living with dementia who can live in their own homes will live more fulfilling lives, with over three quarters believing it will help people to live longer. It's not just that element that strikes me. This also strikes into a wider NHS solution almost in terms of how 
people are trying to take more out of the healthcare setting and into the home setting in general. This seems to be a classic example of that. But also, also, I think you you both touched upon this, giving people that peace of mind when it comes to the to their loved ones as well, especially with certain monitoring technologies. I think that's right, and and it it's worth sort of noting that actually care of the sort of thing that most people living with, with dementia will get is not NHS provided. It is something that, that actually is means tested and um, actually the, the test is very mean. So um, there are huge um, implications for individual families if they um, bear the cost of looking after someone living with, with dementia um, and that prevent someone from going to work or, 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 or even worse, you know, having, having to pay for, for care. So, so these sorts of technologies can be real lifesavers for families and, uh, and, and the likes. Um, but I'd also say that, that one of the really important things about some of the things that um, the Alzheimer's Society are bringing to this and lived experience is making sure that it's not just those who are um, increasingly tech savvy, but it actually uh, uh, brings forward solutions that work for um, the full range of people who are likely to um, uh, encounter this, and, and particularly those without the means to pay for the sort of care that they're doing. So things that are affordable, things that are attractive, that fit into um, everyday life, are, it's going to be a really important part of that. Uh, and you, Ian, you were quoting sort of 88% of doctors I'll be focused on how do we convince the 12% that didn't tick yes. Um, and that's the real challenge, I think, for um, the innovators coming forward to really sort of show that this is, this, you know, they're, they're, they're producing, if you like, really step change, knockout things that, that no one could, could sort of look at and say, I wouldn't want that for my own family. You've probably given me an interesting follow-up there, George, in the uh, converting the 12%, <clears throat> excuse me, because... You, it's great that you've got eighty-eight percent buy-in, but and this is a, a very open-ended question. And this is leading you down a speculation path, so apologies in advance. But how do you think you go about convincing the other twelve percent to come on board? Well, uh, it, it, the proof is in the pudding, basically. Um, that um, there will always be. In fact, I suppose what's interesting is, is for a lot of medical interventions, and I'm not a doctor, so, you know, with a pinch of salt, but I'm told that, that typically that there's, there's a rule of threes, that there's a third who, who get it and want to support it, a third who remain to be convinced, and a third who will never be convinced. Um, so I think we're, we're sort of further over in the, in the curve. Um, for me... Patient power is what will change this. Um, when, when people see and share their experience with others, it will create a sort of clamour and demand that, that, that the 12% can't ignore. Um, so, um, so, so it really is about getting this technology into the hands of real people with real lived experience and demonstrating that it does have the impact that... Um, early tests indicate that it should be having. I do have one um, question that revolves around a lot of the points that we talked about, especially in terms of 
I think it's fair to say that uh, the population is becoming more and more tech savvy. I think you were right to point out about it's a stereotype that old people aren't adapting to technology. The fact is, older people are now growing up having had technology in their hands for about 20 odd years anyway. So that's only going to, you know, increase as the, as the generations pass by and we're probably, you know, more embraceful of technology as a result. But I am keen to talk about infrastructure in terms of if people have got certain technologies in their hands that they can use for, I don't know, remote monitoring, say, for example, I've got my iPhone in my hand, other phones are available to the listeners of this podcast. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm curious to think, is, is there not a... Is there not a worry that there could be a gap between the haves and have-nots here? If you've got, if you are able to afford these kinds of technologies within your own home, then you are you are better equipped to basically adapt to having those better treatments in the home. Sam, do you want to lead on that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that is always going to be a concern, Ian. Um, we are keen to make sure that things that come through the longitude prize on dementia um, are affordable, become affordable as quickly as possible. Um, to a degree, the the focus of the prize is to effectively kind of catalyze more innovation around dementia. Uh, while there are few product providers, prices are likely to remain high. The more innovation that we can pull into uh, the sector, the more competition there'll be, kind of the lower prices will go. Um, similarly to George's kind of uh, proof is in the pudding point, the uh, adoption of technology will also drive down the costs of it. One of the key criteria for the prize is uh, interoperability, making sure that anything that is produced is able to work on you know, a variety of platforms, um, is able to kind of plug into different uh, systems that people might already have at home. So it's a consideration definitely for the prize. Um, I mean, we're just so focused at the moment, I think, on making sure that there is uh, a good amount of innovation in this space because at the moment there, there really isn't. Okay, that's an interesting final point you made there. Why do you think there isn't that great innovation in this space? I mean, obviously you set up the prize to try and encourage more, but there must have been a reasoning behind you you, you making that comment. I think it's a really good question. Um, it's a really big kind of potential audience of people. Just in the UK, you've got 900,000 people living with dementia, um, you know, more people being diagnosed every day though not as uh, not as quick to get the diagnosis as we'd like um i think to a degree it's that people are not uh, i don't know prioritizing that audience uh maybe have assumptions about how easy it would be to work with people living with dementia in developing products um assumptions that we're quite happy to smash and to facilitate um they're, they're working directly with people living with dementia um, it basically means that my team within Alzheimer's Society, the innovation team Alzheimer's Society, is kind of plugging a relatively, you know, unplugged hole as we develop our own products. And, uh, you know, as well as the Longitude Prize on Dementia, we are running uh, an annual accelerator program that pushes products to market because it is so underserved. I'm not sure I have a great answer as to why, um, but I can tell you that it is. I think if you had a great answer as to why, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I'd, I'd say a couple of things on, on the why. I think, firstly, a, a political clamour to find a cure for dementia actually means that much more resources going into the biomedical aspects, um, which will have a long-term payback and, and much less thinking about the practical aspects. I think 
what I've alluded to before, um, the fact that, that this care comes um, is borne by individuals rather than the NHS um, actually means that there's a different dynamic of the market. But one of the things that the prize is able to do is actually create a community of interested people from around the globe. And I think what's interesting and, and, and different is that it's not just sort of saying, well, here's some money, go and, go, and, go and do something, which a lot of us do. But there's almost the same amount, again, in terms of funding and effort into central support so that this distributed, you know, widely dispersed group of innovators actually ha have access to an infrastructure and expertise in AI and things like that, that otherwise they would find really, really difficult to bring together and, and, and um, use to develop their solutions. So that there's a lot of creating the community associated with the, the, the prize um, rather than just sort of uh, encouraging individuals to, to um, innovate. You both mentioned treatments now, so I'm going to come on to the treatments element because, I mean, I, I think Georgia actually touched upon something that was really interesting in terms of priorities is that it is very all well and good having a look at the long term and rightly, and rightly, sure, and rightly so. But Simon, earlier on, you, you, you brought one or two you said there were one or two little elements of the treatments that are coming down that may be coming down the track that are exciting you. Can you give us a little bit of insight as to what you've come across? Yeah, absolutely. And I should say, um, uh, I am not the expert on the treatment side of things. So you're getting a, a kind of lay interpretation of our fantastic research mm -hmm. teams uh, kind of briefing on the treatments. Um, but we've effectively gone 20 years with no new drugs for Alzheimer's disease. So again, as, as I said earlier, the, the biggest kind of uh, single cause of dementia. Um, and in the last couple of years, we've had uh, some really exciting first trial results and now approvals, albeit in the US, of uh, a couple of drugs with very difficult names, but I'll have a crack at them, um, lecanemab and donanemab. Um, and they're, they're not even the most difficult names coming down the pipeline, I'm, I'm sad to report. Um, but they have uh, kind of changed the game effectively. Um, some of the early results from uh, Donanimab in particular suggest a kind of maybe a, a third uh, kind of slowing of progression of Alzheimer's symptoms um, and a 40% slowing in the decline of everyday activities uh, such as driving and doing hobbies and managing finances. Um, and I think it's important to say that that's uh, more effective as far as we can see with people with uh, very early stage dementia. It's possible that it will be kind of particularly effective uh, even earlier than people are currently getting diagnosed, which is tricky. Um, um, you know, is one of the reasons that diagnosis is one of the one of the main things that Alzheimer's site is focusing on at the moment. We know people don't get diagnosed in time. We know people don't get diagnosed with enough specificity to benefit from some of these drugs. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that effectively this is kind of the the beginning of the fight back against dementia. Um, and in particular, yeah, Alzheimer's disease is, uh, is its biggest cause. Um, so yeah, it's a really exciting time on the research side of things. My research colleagues would give you a kind of solid hour of good news around this as well as you know uh, <laughs> reasons for caution and um, and reasons that we need to continue to fund research as effectively as we have been doing and certainly um, the government's putting a lot of 
money through um, the organisation that I work for um, or, or, and its umbrella, UK Research and Innovation, into the, dementia, you know, the Barbara Windsor Dementia Mission, um, looking to sort of uh, support research and the spin-out innovation in, into businesses for um, particularly the diagnostics, but also the, the cure. And uh, sort of as Simon's alluded to, one of, the, one of the difficult things is picking up the signs early enough to make a difference before dementia sets in rather than finding the diagnosis when it's um, almost getting too late um, to, to treat. So, so there, is, there is that. Um, I, I think there's, a, the, there's another aspect to this. Uh, and there's a sort of mantra in, in a lot of healthcare innovation that health equals wealth. Um, I think that that has sort of two legs, if you like. And one is that having a thriving life science industry is, is good for UK PLC um, and there are, there are international opportunities. Uh, but I think the leg that sort of says actually the health of our own nation um, is wealth um, actually has been shown to be really true in the last sort of couple of years where where older people leaving the workforce actually have now had a, a measurable impact on our GDP. Um, and that's where looking after our own people and assistive technologies really play a part, supporting people um, to, to live as as fulfilling lives as they possibly can for as long as they possibly can, I, I think is where this um, this prize is a really exciting sort of innovation. Gents, I feel like we've only scratched the surface in the uh, half an hour or so that we've been talking, but thank you very much for your time. I realise you're both very busy, but um, I always ask at the end if there's anything else that, you, that, that our guests would like to add, but I'd also like to ask, is there anything that our audience should go and read up on or you know when, when to take notes about uh, advances in technology in technology in the space so i'll start i'll start with you sam given that i started with george the first time yeah yeah, yeah thanks uh very reasonable um yeah i mean i think if you want to know more about the longitude prize on dementia i would encourage you to check out the website which is dementia.longitudeprize.org um in terms of uh our team uh, as i say we run this annual accelerator program uh, it is uh, open to effectively any idea that could transform the lives of people living with dementia. Um, you can find out more about that on the Alzheimer's Society website. If you just search for the Accelerator program, uh, that will be in its fifth year next year. Uh, we've got a really good track record of getting fantastic new products to market. So if you feel like you have something uh, that could could transform the lives of people living with dementia, then get in touch with us. Um, yeah, I think aside from that, that's uh, that's me. And I just highlight this is an ongoing program. So um, the twenty-four will be down selected to uh, five finalists next summer, um, uh, leading to those finalists actually doing some further development work uh, and submitting for the final prize um, in in sort of two years' time. So there's lots to actually keep your eye on in terms of what's going on in the Longitude Prize. Okay, I think that's a really, really good place to leave things. Um, George, Simon, thank you very much for your time today. Right, good. Yeah. Thank you, Heath.